You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. That's why I've been feeling so sad. That's why I keep thinking of them. I'm, I'm not a stout, I'm a little. I'm Stuart Little. I'm Stuart Little! Hello everybody, my name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you're listening to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies from your childhood, the ones you're nostalgic about, and we watch them objectively without the rose-colored glasses, let you know, are these movies actually good, or do you just like them for the nostalgia? This week we watched 1999's family comedy, Stuart Little. And this would be the point in the show where I would crack open a White Claw or a beer and you know, make a, a moaning noise of, of great anticipation. But Brandon, uh, you probably can't see it, but I needed something a little stronger. So I've got a Moscow mule here. Let me just pour that in. Oh, well, lucky God. for us, I've got a, a, a Sam Adams summer ale. Oh, gosh. Yeah, thank God. I need vodka for this episode. Longtime listeners of Nostalgia Be Damn know that uh, Brandon has been pitching Stuart Little literally since the day we started. I think I pitched this podcast and Brandon was like, oh my God, yeah, we could do this movie, this movie, we could do Stuart Little. Literally since the show's conception, several years, 80 plus episodes, I finally relented. Don't know why. It was a moment of weakness for me. Um, <laughs> it took a global pandemic for you to finally relent. It, t- it took the potential of our species being wiped out for me to finally just go ahead and let Brandon do Stuart Little. Oh, the little family just got bigger, Zach. I am excited to talk this movie. Finally. It's going to be a good episode. I will give you that. But you owe me several favors. This is a film I wanted to do since we started this podcast because I've always thought this movie was very 90s in its uh, themes. The way it's shot, the the visual effects, the talking animal bit that we've grown very accustomed and, and fond of. And I just, I watched it so many times as a kid. I saw this in theaters. This came out in 1999, so I was eight years old when I saw this. I believe, if memory serves correct, that this was my my sister's either first or second film she ever saw in theaters, my younger sister. So it came out in December, I remember, for her birthday. I remember we picked up the, the VHS clamshell when it came out. Watched this a ton of, of times as a kid. But to me, this kind of epitomized what we were going for for the show because I have not seen this movie in many, many years. However, I knew that once I started it, I would remember it beat for beat. And lo and behold... Little high, little ho, little hey, little ho, man. Yeah, good for you. I'm happy for you. <laughs> it, all, it all came back to me. I uh, also I saw this movie in theaters um, because, Brandon, uh, I actually read the book. Holy shit. Yeah, I read the book as a child and uh, went to go see it in the movie theater because that was, you know, perfect family outing, you know, young child's child's in my house um i don't have fond memories of this movie i think it and it's not that i hated it when i saw it as a kid i can't remember watching it it's been that long um i didn't remember a single thing of it but i knew what i was getting into this week because i watched the trailer before i watched the movie and holy fuck it is how'd that make you feel quintessential 90s I mean, it's 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 the perfect '90s trailer. It starts out with a swooping shot of New York City. You're invited to meet the newest member of the Little Family. 
and everybody looks down and there's fucking a mouse there's a little cgi mouse just right on the steps and i and i i i brandon (laughs) this of course yes loosely based on the 1945 novel of the same name by eb white now i was much more familiar with charlotte's web uh he brought another childhood favorite of mine to life i really enjoyed that book but i also really enjoyed the animated movie from either the early 90s or late 80s i saw that a ton as a kid yeah they remade it i think in 2005 the talking animal version again live action semi but that that late 80s early 90s one i watched the shit out of i think it's only an hour long so we couldn't really do it as a feature-length film on the the, on the show but i do remember reading Stuart little and and I, i bring it up because do you remember how crazy the fucking book was? The book was even crazier than this movie. I hardly remember the book, but it's funny because last week we were talking about Roald Dahl and how, like, that's kind of, he's, you know, he writes some fucked up children's books. Uh, I do know that this book is bizarre. I remember the movie much more, but I remember Stuart was born from the human lady. She gave birth yes. to Stuart, who was like, He's technically a mouse, but really he's a human being. He just shares the exact biological makeup of a mouse, from what I remember. That's so weird. I remember (laughs) the car being a big thing, too. Yes, yes, the car is a big thing. And I think the car can turn invisible at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Again, these are little tiny tiny memories I could definitely be falsely remembering. I, but, what is what is the genre of this movie, by the way? Is it magic? Is it like... It's a family fantasy, you know? Okay, fair enough. We mentioned several times throughout the run of this podcast, despite not actually talking about this movie uh, for an entire episode, we've mentioned a lot about it, specifically that it's been, it was co-written by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Fucking jarring. So jarring when you're watching the opening credits. And, like, you know, the cast, is there's some really recognizable names in the cast. Um, and then it's running through all the producers and the writers and fucking M. Night Shyamalan bus onto that fucking screen like it it really sets the tone for the movie you're like what i'd argue his biggest twist of 1999 like there's no way this could get weirder brandon i think this might be the strangest movie we've ever done on this show it's up there and i don't remember how wild it was in terms of its plot and just some of the shit that happens in this i but i like i said i remember it beat for beat as this movie played along to its very brief 84 or five minutes which thank you thank you for that that was the longest fucking 84 minutes of my (laughs) life by the way i can't believe how long that went i was like so excited last week when you're like it's a cool 90 minutes it'll be great and like i'm sitting here i just finished watching the movie brandon and you saw my face because i was still watching it when you set up this video call like I can't believe how dragging this fucking movie was. So yeah, M. Night Shyamalan co-wrote it. He and Greg Booker wrote the screenplay. It was directed by Rob Minkoff, who, he began his career in animation, I don't know, best known for his first feature film, a little movie called The Lion King. He fucking co-directed that movie. Good movie. Better movie. Should have done Debatable. That. Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> He co-directed The Lion King with Roger Allers. He followed that up with this. This was his second feature film. Followed that up with its sequel, Stuart Little 2. Then he made The Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. Uh, The Forbidden Kingdom, which I think was with Jackie Chan and Jet Li. Yep, I remember that movie. (laughs) Yep. Then he did a little uh, crime thriller called Flypaper, which I think starred Patrick Dempsey and Ashley Judd. 
Then he returned to animation for his most recent film, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, which I have not seen. I think that was a DreamWorks title a couple years back. Stuart Little has a 5.9 on IMDb and a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty low audience score, though, a 41%. Oddly enough, its sequel, which released in 2002, has a certified fresh 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, but the exact same audience score, 41%. You know, it's that's bizarre. Is it really? Now Now I feel like I have to watch Stuart Little too, which I think I mentioned on the podcast last week, or maybe I said it off air, um, that I saw one of those movies in Spanish class, entirely in Spanish. Stuart Little 2 is the movie that oh, I saw entirely okay. in Spanish. Um, it was my first watch. I didn't understand a fucking word of it. <laughs> As a big fan of the original Stuart Little, uh, controversially, I did not see the second one more than once, I think. Didn't go to theaters to see it. Saw it on DVD. And on upon reflection, thinking, you know, why in the world did I not see this sequel many times as much as the first even and i think it's because the first one came out i was eight years old the second one came out i'm 11 i think from eight to 12 about eight to 12 is the biggest change you're ever going to go through in your entire life because eight years old dude to 11 11 you're into titties you're into titties at 11 eight you don't care right at that point i don't give a fuck about Stuart little or james woods as a hawk which i think is in that second one (laughs) james woods is a hawk there's a bird um yep Melanie no, Griffith, I, mean, I believe, voices that, and it becomes like his friend. I think they pulled scenes from the first, like the Stuart Little book, because I think the birds in the second, the first, the book as well. I, I almost want to say, and again, I've only seen it in Spanish, so I can't verify, um, but I almost want to say that the bird becomes like another member of the family, like they adopt the bird. I have a lot to say about this adoption process and this family what in general, fuck? but we'll get into uh, that in a sec. It cost $133 million to make. It earned $140 million in the U.S. and $300 million worldwide. Finished 11th for the year on the domestic box office charts of 99, making it the third highest grossing family film of the year behind Toy Story 2 and Tarzan. But it earned more than Inspector Gadget, Pokemon the Movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, October Sky, Baby Geniuses, and The Iron Giant. Oh, there's so many stay tunes on that list of movies you just rattled off. Fucking October Sky and The Iron Giant. Great films. I love October Sky. I can't tell you, October Sky... I think I've gone out back when you rented movies. I think I rented October Sky 15 times. Loved that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's a great movie. Little yeah. Jake Gillial. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon uh. the movie. They just like remade that on Netflix. Have you seen that? They just no, remade that movie, that. but like made it 3D. Like gave oh. it like an upgraded 3D animation. Apparently it's the same fucking movie. No shit. That's weird. Stay fucking tuned. <laughs> that's weird. I, that was right in the midst of my. Yeah. Pokemon uh, fandom oh. too. It, it it burned out quickly too. That was like an eight to eleven type of deal. <laughs> Pokemon movie when that came out was the height of my Pokemon fandom and also the very start of the decline. <laughs> uh, I'm starting to think that with these box office charts from now on, I want to just sh- point out the movies that these shitty movies made more than to remind us as an American public how terrible we are when it comes to supporting good films and theaters. I was just going through the list of all the movies Stuart Little vastly outgrossed and being like wow 1999 one of the best years of movies look at how many films just utterly failed <laughs> yeah the really good year for movies we were talking about this one of the best yeah yeah uh, i bet you didn't know this though zach there was another sequel to this in 2005 a direct-to-video Stuart little three call of the wild that's all animated and surprisingly michael j fox gina davis and house returned to do the voice work are you fucking kidding me what crazy Blew my mind. 
were they locked in on a contract? What happened? I think that was that easy money, man. Cash and checks, snapping necks. Stuart Little was nominated for the Best Visual Effects Oscar that year, but lost to The Matrix. Don't know. <laughs> Big mistake Don't that year, why. huh, Academy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matrix only fucking revolutionized the way we shoot action movies, but whatever. Oh, boy. This was Estelle Getty, of course, Golden Girls, Estelle Getty's final film before her retirement in 2001 and her death in 2008. A few different casting options. George Clooney, Andy Garcia, Mel Gibson, and Tom Hanks were considered for the role of Mr. Frederick Little. Could you imagine Mel Gibson in this role? <laughs> Yelling at a mouse the whole movie? I would love that. I, I honestly think he'd, do, I think he'd do an okay job. Fucking what? A Dr. House. I got my fucking... <laughs> I got some... Things to say? You know, he's like an, he's an incredible actor, right? Of course. He's, he's like a, such a good actor. I've seen I've Flight seen of the Phoenix, Shakespeare. I've, I've seen him do Shakespeare. It's chilling. <laughs> he's... He's so bad at this movie. <laughs> he was also in Holmes and Watson, so, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, Sally Field, Sandra Bullock, and Cameron Diaz were considered for the role of Mrs. Eleanor Gwyneth Little. Paltrow and Mel Gibson, I'm sorry. Oh, good lord. What a casting. <sighs> and for the role of Snowbell, uh, of course, that went to Nathan Lane. We had Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray up for the role. And lastly, this is a very fun bit of trivia. One of the paintings used as set dressing for the Little's home was the 1920s painting Sleeping Lady with Black Vase by Hungarian avant-garde painter Robert Bereni. Or Bereni, I don't know. Either way, it had been considered a long-lost painting. However, the set designer for this movie, I guess, purchased it at an antique store in Pasadena, California for like 500 bucks to use in the film, unaware of its significance. It wasn't until 2009 that an art historian was watching Stuart Little on TV with his daughter and was like, wait, what the fuck? That's that painting. So they had to contact the studio and they were able to track its uh, whereabouts down. And in 2014, its owner sold the painting at an auction for a hefty chunk of change, something like 230,000 euros or something like that. But, uh, yeah, just wild. <laughs> Here's 500 bucks. Can I have that oh. piece of shit up there? <laughs> yeah, I gotta make this shitty fucking mouse movie. <laughs> Holy fuck. Oh, well, that's it, man. I think it's time. I think it's time we finally do this. We put it in the, put another notch in the old belt. All right, hold on one second. Yeah, cheers to you. Yeah, let's take a drink. Oh, that is a strong Moscow mule. Ah, oh, no. This oh, thought it was going to foam over. All right, well. It's today, it's today. The first words shouted by our young, precocious little George Little, played by 90s all-star Jonathan Lipnicki. He's the littlest vampire, dude. Did you get the photo that I sent you earlier? <laughs> the one you just, like, Snapchatted me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one of him on the, holding the globe, right? Holding that fucking globe trophy, which doesn't make any sense. I, I Right off the bat. I just, like, Go ahead. fuck. Um, Jonathan Lipnicki, man. <laughs> Whoa, this kid is fucking creepy and weird and not e not even that good of a child actor, if we're being honest. Look, look I loved him in uh, Jerry Maguire. It's a great, cute kid little performance. Yeah. Like, he's great in it. And um, I, I didn't honestly see him a whole hell of a lot after that this i mean like there was like my little vampire whatever the fucking movie was called he did a few other things i think early 2000 and then vanished and now i think he's jacked and if he heard this podcast would probably kick my ass i gotta look this up hold on yeah look up current jonathan lipnicki yeah he's kind of a little shit in this movie <laughs> for, for the, a large part of the runtime of this movie he is at odds with Stuart, and therefore we as an audience aren't necessarily even meant to like him i don't think nevertheless <laughs> 
Zach just showed me, brought up a picture of them, uh, then and now, of Jonathan Lipnicki, and good lord, what a beefcake. He still looks like, I, I, listen, he's ripped, don't get me wrong, he's he's jacked as hell, he still looks, he Zach, still looks, Zach, 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 pick your words carefully here. <laughs> he still looks like a little punk bitch. <laughs> Look at that. Shit! It looks like he's oh, okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. gotten soft. Oh, dude, don't, don't, dude, don't provoke him. Anyway, nah, Jonathan Lipnicki's got. No, gotten we're soft, friends man. of Lipnicki. On we are a pro Lipnicki podcast. All right, let's get that out in the open right now. Fucking weird dude, man. He wakes up, little George Little. He wakes up his white privileged parents. We've got Gina Davis and Hugh Laurie, Frederick and Eleanor Little, and today it's a big day because today's the day they intend to adopt a new family member. Yes, um, and you know. Most people go to an adoption center assuming that they're going to walk away with a human child. Not the littles. Not the littles. <laughs> As George is leaving for school, he reminds them, remember, I want a little brother, not a big brother. Oh, George, you're going to get a little brother. Don't <laughs> you fact, worry about that. You're going to be so angry at how literally they take the word little. <laughs> oh. These parents, though, can we talk about this? This this continues to baffle me. They're very non-90s parents. They appear to be living in fucking 1960s England or something. Everyone around them, though, like, I thought for a second, maybe it's just this eccentric family, and it appears to be, because the people in Central Park later on are just dressed in polos and normal, regular 90s clothing, people just walking around. They, however, look straight out of a fucking catalog. I can't nail down when this movie takes place. I really can't, because, like, even, like the cars that the taxis that they drive around all look like they're from the 40s the parents dress like they're in the 40s they even like at the adoption center there's a kid playing with a leather soccer ball like the first <laughs> soccer ball ever made <laughs> yeah and we've got a, a quintessential 80s yuppie bully later on to talk about oh the the 80s bully oh my god that's the yeah. best part of this movie. Yeah, and I'm, I, but I do technically think this is supposed to be just modern day '99 New York City. Anyway, it's Zoe Deschanel quirky. Yeah, exactly. Very quirky. Uh, so they're yeah visiting an orphanage to shop for a kid. Uh, what I can commend this kids movie on though is getting to the fucking point. We meet Stuart Little in about two and a half minutes into this movie. Good on you, Minkoff. That's true. We've had some other directors who would have waited twenty five fucking minutes to get to this goddamn mouse. Exactly, exactly. I don't need to see the day-to-day -day routines of the little family. Just get to Stuart. And he is, God damn it, he's cute as hell. The, the mouse itself, this is where we can see how far visual effects have come. You put this next to Caesar the Ape or something, and it looks like shit. It never pulled me out of it, I'll say that. It's it's not so egregious as some of these other ones we've seen, but it, it doesn't necessarily look good by today's standards. The only time I was ever really pulled out of of it was when they would be holding him or he would be like standing around and everybody on the set is clearly looking at like a tennis ball or they're not really holding anything there's like they're anytime like it was interacting with people you know what i mean sure sure and if for some reason you grew up under a rock Stuart little he's a fucking talking mouse all right <laughs> he <laughs> And it's so weird because he's somehow dressed like them. He's wearing a fucking tweed smoking jacket or something. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, he's adorable, sweet, kind. The littles, obviously, they're taken by him. So much so they decide he's the boy for them. This was a bit concerning upon today's view of the of the film. Uh, t t the amount of children, human children, that are in desperate need of yep. a family at yep. that orphanage. And for them to 
I'm going to say it, be sort of selfish and uh, take on the responsibilities of adopting this mouse, which I'm assuming its probable lifespan is less than that of a human child. Could have accomplished what they did by going to a PetSmart and paying a dollar. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You could dress it up. However, this is where the magical realism of it all sets in, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about this, but it's one of those movies, and we've talked about a few on this podcast, where no one acknowledges the fact that this talking mouse existing is weird. <laughs> Everyone just, is just cool with it. I actually, I, I remember writing it down because I was so taken aback with how, like, nonchalantly people go about their lives with this fucking talking mouse and I get you have to suspend your disbelief for a children's movie but at one point Jonathan Lipnicki of all people in this world brimming with full-grown adults the 10-year-old boy Jonathan Lipnicki has to look around and he's like you know this is a fucking mouse right <laughs> I love that scene it's so good it's baffling <laughs> like Jonathan Lipnicki is the only one who gets it like Jonathan Lip everybody gives will give Jonathan Lipnicki shit for his reaction to this mouse which we'll get to in a second it's totally justified he came he went to school that day expecting a human brother like a little brother that's not like a flippant decision a flippant decision is going again to a pet smart and buying a mouse for a dollar they went and got a fucking mouse instead of a human child. Of course he's a little pissed off. Now, I've never I've never got these undertones from the film, but I did a little research on this because I noticed in some of the critic reviews, people were pointing out the fact that this movie was sort of racist. And I started thinking about it like, okay. So I went into it with that with that in mind and I started looking for things. Well, the first thing that triggered this is right here. <laughs> they're talking to the adoption agent and she says something like we try to discourage couples from adopting outside their own species it, it usually doesn't work out for them or something like that and at that point i was like okay maybe i can look into it if you t if you go to google right now and you type in is Stuart little racist <laughs> a shit ton of articles come up about That's fucking crazy. <laughs> there's all this stuff underneath it's so funny you bring that scene up too because in that like pause in between she said not to adopt out of their own i like finished her sentence i was like race yeah she was <laughs> that's what they were leaning into yeah 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 Ew. anyway just something to think of i didn't read too much into it further than that i guess there's some stuff you know but but i i didn't see anything further than that however i guess if you want some interesting reads <laughs> there's a lot Ex on it out there expect my manifest by the end of day <laughs> You can also read her saying that, like, hey, we discourage people from adopting outside their own species as any chance I could persuade you to use your I enormous wealth to maybe help a desperate human child instead of adopting a literal garbage animal. <laughs> it doesn't matter because they're smitten. So they bring him home and he's told to call them mom and dad on the ride there and everything. Uh, Stuart, he's just tickled pink. Yeah, they bring him home to their magic house. Oh, I do love the look of this house. It's it's literally crammed in between two skyscrapers. It's the house from Up, essentially. <laughs> I don't... It, there's so many... Like, this house throws me through a loop almost more than anything else in this movie because... Oh, it's impossible. <laughs> and this is kind of important to know. I don't think it actually ends up playing out. Like, I thought about it at the end. I was like, did it even mean anything? Apparently, every little, even if they've never been to that house, always knows how to find that house. Oh, it plays in a way. Oh, it plays in a big way at the end, Zach. I don't know yeah. if it does. Oh, it does. I'll, I'll let you know does. when it does. Hey, Zach, I'll let you know when it does. <laughs> <laughs> I just... 
Like, is the house magic? I, Even if you've never been there, yeah, you'll know where it is. So what the... F- what is going on? <laughs> I'm so confused. Why? Why Why is that a thing? It's kind of cool. I kind of like it. We're I moving don't. on. Uh, <laughs> so they get to the house. Mid-tour, the cat, Snowbell, nearly kills Stuart. It almost eats him. Hilarious. This leading, of course, to that trailer line. Stuart is one of the family now. We do not eat family members. I saw that a lot. Remember that, Zach? Watching that man yell at a cat was the one genuine laugh I got out of this movie. He is such a respected actor. I'm going to tell you this, Zach. I got several laugh-out-loud moments, and all of them involve this cat. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I could go without the cat. <laughs> I, 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 love, no, I, no, love, no, no. I love Nathan Lane to death, but I could go without this fucking cat. George comes home and is visibly upset, understandably upset in my opinion, but yeah, brought home a fucking talking mouse, but again, not phased in the fucking slightest that this is a talking mouse, which then leads me to believe, like, are there other talking animals? Then the cat starts talking to him later on, but only when the humans are not around. So I start thinking, is Stuart just a phenomenon that he could speak to all species of of creature, or... Is it the fact that animals can talk to one another, but they have a like a pact that they can't show humans that they're talking? Similar to cats and dogs. Yeah, but then more mice come that can talk. And then in the sequel, there's a bird and a hawk that can talk. The hawk doesn't talk to people. The bird talks to people. So select animals talk to people or choose not to talk in front of people. I, Who knows, dude? We're going yeah, to kill myself to prove you right? I, 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 maybe. <laughs> Oh boy! This is such a chaotic movie, Brandon. It's it's just pure chaos sent from the depths of hell to torture us. <laughs> so Stuart is tucked into a very nice bedroom. I was honestly very envious of this bedroom. I got to be honest. This bedroom. entire mouse's living situation, growing up, weighed on me heavy. And I think this film really makes kids themselves reflect on their own upbringing. Probably provokes some resentment towards their parents for not giving them a life that resembles this fucking rat's life you know what i mean how come i can't have a nice room like this rat does i also and i know we're just kind of beating a dead horse at this point but i couldn't help but think about how this huge room the most comfortable bed in the world all these toys and stuff were given to a mouse and back at that orphanage there's like six boys over there who are sleeping in bunk beds in a playing with fucking leather soccer balls (laughs) playing with leather soccer balls very much without parents what's wrong with just taking the mouse and a kid home yeah the mouse isn't that much of a burden on you i wouldn't think no he probably eats next to nothing i mean you can put it anywhere anywhere i get it it's a talking fucking mouse and it's cool it's voiced by michael j fox honestly i would take that fucker home in a heartbeat but also yeah jeffrey over there looks like he's having a fun time let's bring jeff home I can't imagine the adoption fee was very high for this mouse because I like they're getting rid of vermin at that point. They should be paying you if they're charging any more. Yeah, exactly. If they're charging any more than five dollars for an adoption fee, just go get a dog (laughs) or out to the fucking alley and you could probably catch a rat. I bet they're smart enough. You could catch catch a rat. rat. (laughs) Apparently there's wild talking rats all over the city. So it like just don't even worry about it. After good nights are shared, Snowbell comes in. I like this because the door's open, it's all in shadow, and he walks up onto the bed, and it's the first words he says, like, are you cozy? Well, yes, I'm quite comfortable. <laughs> He's like, because all I have to sleep on is a rag in the corner, you little rat. He also understandably pissed off. Yeah. Nathan Lane, ah, oh, gosh, this is so this is our second Nathan Lane film 
in which he wants to murder a mouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is. <laughs> and we haven't heard Michael J. Fox voice an animal since, uh, is it Chance, right? Homer Bound, yep. too? Homer Bound, yeah. So we've got, we're nice. really finding our niche here at Nostalgia Be Damn. Nathan Lane hating mice and Michael J. Fox playing animals. <laughs> Better talking animal effects here than I'll say in Cats and Dogs, which was actually released a couple years later. I think it's just because they choose mm-hmm. to go the route of less exaggerated expressions so at least it looks fairly normal I, i'll say the talking animals don't bother me nearly as much as Stuart little as the cgi character like the effect of them also the trained cats in this movie pretty good holy shit there's some good pretty, cat acting pretty, later pretty on this movie. good <laughs> cat acting in this movie i i have to give it up to this movie the cat acting is unbelievable <laughs> i noticed no cgi cats i think there are maybe one or two parts where they used a cat puppet for things they didn't want to do like throwing a cat out a window or something there's like also that. like this weird like this weird scene where the cats are talking to each other and you can only see their shadow it's a weird decision to make but i get it but yeah the most part it's all real cats doing all the shit and they're really well trained due to his size stewart's life is a daily rube goldberg machine he's constantly in peril of being killed he's thrown into the laundry machine after being tossed down the chute snowbell leaves him in the machine to drown uh luckily he is saved though by eleanor but uh the next day family goes shopping george throws a little hissy fit because he doesn't want to be seen in public with Stuart. uh they buy him some action figure outfits right because he needs some clothes for the family party that night yeah essentially buy him like ken doll clothes the entire family comes to meet Stuart, including Uncle Crenshaw, played by the one man you do not want at a family party, Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> Holy fucking shit, man. <laughs> They've even got their own little saying, man. Little high, little low. Little hey, little ho. I hate the littles. <laughs> I, I hate them. How can you hate them? They're so quirky. They're like a Wes Anderson movie come to life. I mean, for all those reasons you just said. <laughs> and then also because... Um, and I don't know if you caught on to this, but two of them actually adopted a mouse over a human child that needed a home. So, I... <laughs> And their entire family is also kind of taken aback by this because one thing you should definitely warn someone about is that, I don't know, you're going to be introducing them to a talking mouse instead of a presumed human child. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, then they wind up buying all this shit he can't use, like a bowling ball and a bicycle. George and Stewart are even given this old baseball belonging to their great-great-grandfather, Jedediah Little. And as everyone tells George to go play a game of catch with Stewart, he finally fucking snaps. And he's like, you're all fucking crazy. This is a mouse, for Christ's sake. This is the best clarity we have in this film. It lets you, the audience, know you're not fucking crazy. <laughs> like It's just like the one moment yeah. in the entire film, like, no, we get that this, is, this isn't what happens in everyday life. <laughs> yeah, because, and look, I know the family's being nice and they're, you know, oh my God, he's, you know, it's a mouse. We're adjusting. We love him already. He's a member of the family. But like, you do need that like snap of like this is weird and it's nice that the movie gives you that a la jonathan jonathan lipnicki but it, it's just so like it's not really enough you know what i mean yeah because kids watching this are going to be like do mice fucking talk mom why have you not told me mice just do this this is a normal thing why the fuck can't why can't you get rid of my younger sister and get me a mouse sibling i hate the littles i hate this movie <laughs> it's so weird it's confusing <laughs> I'm, I'm just lost. I'm lost, Brandon. <laughs> that night, the Littles are startled awake to find a rat in their bed. Stuart's in their bed, and he admits his feelings of loneliness to his parents regarding the whereabouts of his biological parents. So they decide maybe we'll chat with the adoption agency, see uh, if maybe we can find out where they actually are. Did you notice in this scene, by the way, I don't know why it stuck out to me so much. I think it's just like 
again, I don't think anybody really does a good job at pretending like there's a mouse in front of them. Like, it's very clear they're talking to a tennis ball or someone off script who's reading Stuart Little's lines because there's there's this point where uh, Hugh Laurie is um, talking to Stuart and it's just like a two shot of them in bed and they put a voiceover, like you don't even see Stuart talking, it's just a voiceover and you just see Hugh Laurie reacting and I wish this was a visual medium so I could show an example, but he's just like nodding his head and like doing little like eye twitches to like make it seem like he's listening to somebody, but it's very clear like there's a stage hand like, do you really think so, dad? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? He is fucking yeah. I mean, he's lost in a sea right now. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, he's just clinging to anything that's gonna. He's save got him. a glazed look in his uh. eyes this entire movie. Like, I, what am I doing? Another film in which a, a brilliant English actor is debased, having to talk to either a talking animal oh or God. a muppet. It's fucking Doctor Doolittle. That's that uh, that motherfucker, dude. Speaking of Doolittle. That movie is fucking atrocious. One of the worst I've seen in so long. Why the fuck would you think I would have gone and seen that movie that we could go, we could come and talk about? So we're introduced to Monty, an alley cat who Snowbell is trying to keep away from Stuart. This is Steve Zahn. I love me some Steve Zahn. And uh, he's pretty funny in this. I like this whole, there's like a a cat mob. (laughs) Because he works for Smokey, who's going to be played by Chaz Palminteri or later on. But he's like the cat mob boss. In a dream world, and I can just picture them like casting this movie. They're like, oh my god, let's get Walken to play the cat mob boss. Let's get Joe Pesci to play the the rat father. Um, and like they just like those guys were like, no, not doing it. And <laughs> and so they casted like <laughs> reportedly Alan Rickman was supposed to play Smokey. What are you? F- Fucking also kidding? considered, yeah, Smokey, yeah. <laughs> but thankfully, we have Strange Wilderness's Steve Zahn here as Monty. Love that guy. I know, like, he really isn't that bad in this movie, but I did get the sense that he maybe wasn't trying that hard. <laughs> Some of his lines felt a little sleepy to me. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter because we get a quick cat fart here, and that's all that matters, man. As he's leaving the little cat door, he lets out a quick little squeaker, which I always love in my children's entertainment. But- I blacked. I, I blanked that out of my mind. I don't even remember that part. <laughs> oh, it happens. Do you want to pull it up on YouTube? I bet if you type cat fart Stuart Little, it'd come up, but I don't know. I haven't, I haven't tried it. Unfortunately, though, he does spot Stuart, who he corners, but Stuart tells him he's a member of this family. A mouse with a pet cat? trailer line again as he bursts out to laugh and this causes snowbell to kind of snap and attack stewart because he's pissed off again amazing cat acting in this scene by the way the two cats interacting they're going back to the food bowl they're rolling over and it's all good stuff it's fucking amazing yeah luckily he's saved when he accidentally stumbles upon george's massive playroom in the basement this kid's got a whole fucking like train set all set up and Stuart, you know, lovingly asks, oh my gosh, is that a train? To which George replies, with the sickest burn, maybe in film history, uh, what's it look like, picklehead? <laughs> <laughs> Using that moving forward, everybody's a picklehead in my eyes right now. <laughs> what's it look like, picklehead? Uh, there's a nice little Back to the Future 3 reference here with Michael J. Fox and the train set. George has this badass remote-controlled car that also doubles as like a fully functioning automobile if you're the size of Stuart Little. I remember this being like a big deal. It's at least in the books for sure. The car was like a huge deal. I always think when I think of Stuart Little, I think of that fucking red car. It's weird how iconic it is considering it's Stuart Little. And it's not actually used quite a bit in the movie. There's like two or three scenes with it max. Thankfully, 
George and Stuart start to bond again when they plan to finish George's remote control sailboat for the upcoming race. That's going to be a doozy. I hope there's no rich 80s bully at that race. That could ruin everything. Meanwhile, Snowbell is determined not to have his reputation destroyed, so he meets with Monty's boss, Smokey, the leader of the Alley Cats, who agrees to have Stuart uh, removed from the household. He has, so this is Chaz Palminteri, who he said, great reading here. I love this line so much. It, it made me burst out laughing here again, but as a kid, it made me laugh every single time when he, he's told by Snowbell, you know, like he can't eat this mouse at home because he's technically his master. The mouse is his master. And he's like, <laughs> all the cats start laughing. He's like, that's not funny. That's sick. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I don't know why the way he says it, though. I laugh every time. Oh, my God. But he agrees that, you know, it's time we'll have the cat scratched. They're going to whack him off. Oh, not yet. Oh, no, not yet. No, that's saved for later, I suppose. You're right. True. So Stuart and George, they finish the Wasp in time for the race. But on the day of the race, the controller is smashed by accident. Hey, George, maybe don't send a mouse after a controller three times his fucking yeah, size. <laughs> what do you expect to happen? Just a little bit of fucking self-awareness in this movie, please, for the love of God. <laughs> he destroys the controller. George is all bummed. And largely due to his arch rival, Anton, who we've mentioned earlier, premium 80s yuppie bully. He's wearing Dude. not only a turtleneck, a white turtleneck, but he's got a bright blue blazer on, on top of that. So you know he's no good. It's cartoonish. It is so over the top. I had to pause because I was like, no fucking way. Like there's this can't be this can't be a real thing that they did in this movie. <laughs> because every parent in the audience wants to punch this kid in the fucking face, dude. This kid is the worst. Ugh. Even like in like a terrible the the littles who fucking love everybody and adopted a quirky mouse. Uh they even are like I don't like that kid. But uh, to make it up to George, Stuart decides to pilot the Wasp himself, despite never sailing, total badass. We get these master and commander looking fucking scenes as these these sailboats are crashing into each other and shit. And Anton uses this opportunity to destroy his competitors. He literally just drives over them with his massive, you know, rich guy sailboat. I did have a laugh when he destroys one kid's bow and he looks at him and he's like you it's not fair you can't do that and he, he just looks at me he's like uh, i just did and then his friend who's like he looks like a fucking one of those guys who like protested at charlotte um he like he's also wearing a fucking blazer and sweatshirt sweater he's got vest. a heavy dude it's awesome yeah he's got a heavy and he just pushes the kid out of the way like where'd that guy come from what is going on <laughs> there's a whole backstory with this bully gang i i need more of the bully they don't show up for the rest of the movie they never become a no thing. a prime example of not taking advantage of a plot point later on in the movie where maybe you know as he's going through the central park anton the bully stumbles upon stewart and takes him for his own and then george has to like rescue him from this bully kid maybe he could have done that or maybe the bully uh has a moment of clarity and helps Stuart little get back to the house and then they become friends and we learn a little bit of sure something did. about friendship. M. Night Shyamalan wrote this movie. Why am I coming up with these fucking plot points, Brandon? Anton attempts to kill Stuart, though, with his boat. Thankfully, George grows some balls and fights back. He pushes Anton to the ground. There's this big scuffle and whatnot. Either way, Stuart's able to break free from the sailboats getting all tangled up, and he wins the race. And someone shouts, who is that mouse? And George replies, that's no mouse. That's my brother. But, like... He's still a mouse. <laughs> yeah. And if that doesn't make you want to vomit, we fade cross dissolve into 
my favorite screenshot of the whole movie, Brandon. Jonathan Lipnicki and Stuart Little standing on stairs while this little family is like clapping for him like he just won the Nobel Peace Prize. And he's <laughs> he's holding this fucking giant globe trophy. Yeah, because he's the king of the world. does that have to deal he's with? the king of the world. No, it doesn't. That has nothing to do with a remote, con- <laughs> an RC sailing contest in Central Park. Why isn't it a boat? <laughs> It's a. It's just this giant silver globe. It makes no sense. And Jonathan Lipnicki has the stupidest face on his look. His stupid little kid face. He's got a white tuxedo, and he's wearing a white tuxedo. Why are they wearing a tuxedo? Because they're taking the family photo. Remember, so this is the part they're all taking the photo, and the littles, you know, the whole little family's there. They're actually taking the picture of the four of them. Like, wow, you guys just look so right. This makes sense. So white, racist. Oh, honestly. But honestly, their happiness, though, quite short lived because they're visited by a mouse couple, Regina and Camille Stout, who claim to be Stuart's birth parents that they gave him up to the orphanage due to them being broke ass mice back in the day. And kind of the littles turn pretty quickly. They just ultimately believe this is what's best for Stuart because he told them earlier during their heart to heart that he was missing a piece. He felt like a piece of him was missing. And they thought, oh, that's this will fill that hole, I guess. Um, In in what world is this better for him? First of all, he's a mouse with a giant bed and kids room food on the table. He's living in a fucking house. Did you No, you have to go live in the gutter with these these other mice? I mean, honestly, this this should have happened weeks ago for the little family he never should have been adopted because he's a mouse (laughs) but no they they just like let's let him go there's also another uh reality check here uh again we talked about that moment where like jonathan lipnicki pulls you in and it's just like this is a mouse there's another scene because gina as they're walking away gina davis just pulls her husband aside and she's like they're mice Let's just fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just stomp the shit out of these mice and take Stuart back home. And House is all like, nah, they belong together. Let's traumatize this mouse we adopted over real children. Speaking of traumatic lines, actually it's coming up here very shortly, but there is some dark shit that they touch on. It This movie starts to get real dark around this point, and it doesn't let up until the end. We do get a Hey Taxi line from Mr. Stout. <laughs> I'm so glad you said, I'm so glad you brought it up because that's the first thing I thought of. He goes, "Hey, taxi! What's a mouse got to do to get a fucking taxi?" <laughs> so luckily, though, one of them sees him. They pull over, and as Stuart's leaving, he's like, "I love you too, mom." Uh, I mean, Mrs. Little. Oh. And as they're leaving, though, George gives Stuart the Roadster. You know that really dope, fully functioning car. So the Stouts just take it, drive him home. They live at the top of this mini golf castle thing. And uh, yeah, that's his life now. He's now an actual mouse. But three days later, the adoption agent, Mrs. Keeper, she comes over to reveal some news. So supposedly they found out what happened to Stuart's parents. They died in a tragic cream of mushroom soup can accident years ago. Some of the gruesome details that she relays in this story include an unstable pyramid of cans collapsing on them. It took three bag boys to get them out and they had to be identified by their dental records. Jesus Christ. I'm just picturing the mashed skulls of these boys. Can you imagine being a... Pa- I don't know what my parents must have thought when they saw this movie. That's so rough. I Good like Because obviously as a as a child, this went over my head. Like way over my head. I like, oh, his parents are dead. That's all I got out of that. But my parents must have been sitting there like, what? <laughs> they did like... Had to be identified. Is this a CSI? What the fuck is That's this? That's rough. 
Yeah. Uh, so the Stouts, they're imposters. We found out they were actually hired by Smokey and Snowball to get rid of Stuart. But the Littles take this very seriously. They call the cops who conduct a very thorough investigation using taxpayer dollars. Many actual murder cases likely going unsolved during this time. Yeah, and I just want to remind everybody, this is a mouse we're talking about. This whole movie is about people adopting a mouse over real children. The police, though, they believe it's curtains for Stuart. Again, another gruesome fact. They say it's likely he's been murdered as part of a cross-country mouse-killing spree. <laughs> I almost, I was sitting there, I was like, is this sarcastic? Is this another moment of clarity where they're like, obviously we're not going to fucking put any effort into finding your mouse. It's a mouse. But no, they're like they're like dead serious he's like telling these people like yeah your son's probably been fucking dismembered like hey take out the photos they start showing them crime scene photos of these apparent like horrid like the guy's looking at him he's like oh god this one gave me nightmares for weeks that was so dark i had a legitimate belly laugh that was legitimately i was like what is going on like it was it i I talked about Uh, wet hot american summer last week this it, it reminded me of wet hot american summer where the police would just be like you know what we're gonna show you some of our crime photos stay right there (laughs) it's it's a david wayne-esque just like turn of comedy in this kid's movie george and the rest of the family they're back home putting up missing person posters all over the city the cats have decided that tonight it's settled Stuart little gets scratched tonight so as Stuart's making his way home because as we said zach every little knows how to get how? home. Why? Is he the house knows. magic? He, I don't... He just knows. It's inside him. It's inside him. On his way through the park, this band of cats, they start chasing after him. We get this high-octane, fast and furious car chase through the forest and into the sewer with the cats chasing after him. And, you know, he loses them, thankfully, in the sewage water. Makes his way home through the sewer grate just as everyone has left. And sure enough, he turns around. There's the house. I knew it. I knew I was a little all along because I find my way home. It's luck. It's it's serendipity. It's destiny, Zach. Do you get it? And that should be the end of the movie. Nah, dude. Nah. We got a bits to go. They they're, Right now, they're at 68 minutes and they have to get to 84. I'm telling you, this <laughs> should have been the end of the movie. It should have been like, I really am a little and my the family welcomes them home. Maybe the cat gets in trouble or they reconcile on the way back or something like that. This is the very clear stopping point of this movie. This is where this movie should have just cut its losses and been like, this is it. Add more fillers in earlier if you have to. We didn't get one single fucking uh, montage of him trying on action figure clothes. That, that's true. Yeah, we just got the clothing items themselves. We never got him going to school. We could have had a mouse going to school. Missed we, opportunity. But so many missed opportunities. We could have had him like, well, George, you're part of this family. You got to do chores now, but he can only do s- silly little mouse chores. Would have been fucking hilarious. I could have written Stuart Little, Brandon. I. More importantly, M. Night Shyamalan gave us one thing we needed more than all of those cat fart a freaking cat fart and a little a little Shyamalan twist yeah I'm just kidding there's it's not even really a twist the twist is that the movie didn't end at its logical conclusion but thankfully it gives us my favorite scene in the whole movie because it combines that dark weird humor with some Nathan Lane perfect line delivery perfect Because he's a, cause he plays a cat. Brandon. I like what you did there, dude. That's yeah, this I, I type know. of comedy you're getting here on Nostalgia Be Damn. <laughs> uh, tell your friends. Write us a review. But it's just Snowbell at home. And Stuart comes inside. And Snowbell tells him the family's out. 
at the movies, actually. In fact, it's been nonstop parties and celebrations since you left. <laughs> and he's like, starts to get all teary-eyed. He climbs up and he's like, let me show you. He's like, no, I don't believe you. That's a lie. He's like, let me show you something. Just before this scene, they had to cut Stuart out of the family photo because they were using it for to make copies of the missing person's <laughs> like posters. And then they hang the photo back up. Yeah, they hang the photo back up. So it looks like, so Snowbell tells him that Eleanor cut him out as soon as he left. I'd give you the photo, but she gave it to George, and he ripped it up. Then Mr. Literal, he set it on fire. And then Stuart, all teary-eyed, like, says his goodbye and sets off, and Snowbell says, I'll let the family know you stopped by, but it'd probably just make them sick. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, it's so dark, this movie. <laughs> this poor fucking this mouse, movie I know. like, it's, like, orchestra, like, pep in it, because there's this theme song that they keep playing over and 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 over again. Um, it just, like... It's going about everything like it's a typical children's movie, but like every little bit of it towards the end of it would just suggest otherwise that it's like it's a dark black comedy. It almost like borders on like the the absurdity, like where they're just starting to ab- embrace that. Yeah, we know this movie's fucking crazy. We don't care. <laughs> This poor mouse, though, now sent back out into the streets. We failed to mention that previously, I mean, a couple scenes before this, he had just been told by the Stouts, you know, they come clean and tell him, no, your family members were killed. So he's he's already having to wrestle with that baggage. Then he's cast back out. Anyway, Monty stops by after Stuart leaves and tells Snowbell that the gang is hunting his little mouse friend in the park. So Snowbell heads off to Central Park. He finds Stuart, rescues him from the cats while admitting to him about his own lies that he lied the whole time. He tells him that the Littles are miserable without him. He, In fact, he does a, a full character 180 in a matter of minutes. <laughs> He's literally just shunned Stuart and you know lied to his face, so Stuart leaves. As soon as he leaves, Monty comes, and it's at that point after he finds out that they're planning, I guess, to kill him. Maybe it's just because he doesn't want him dead. That's kind of his ultimate uh, comeuppance, and he decides... It is overkill, I would imagine. It's fine, because this is where we get the real message of the film, because the cat surround them both in a tree and you know Snowbell tells the cats that Stuart is part of the family and Stuart tells them you don't have to look like your family you don't even have to like your family to love your family and care for your family that's what it's all about Zach even if your sister's being a little shit the whole movie watching it with you kicking your shins or you know biting you on the neck she's still your sister and you can't kill her you remember the scene where Jonathan Libnicki's just picking up a phone that's not ringing (laughs) (laughs) oh that's right because he's back home anxiously awaiting someone's to to call the number saying that they've found Stuart. I know, I know there's a lot of people uh in our listenership who probably don't remember like rotary phones, but like that's not how it works. <laughs> no, in fact, you're 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 tying the lines up. You're you're making the call busy. In fact, you're hurting your your situation. At this point, like someone will call when you're like picking up and listening to the dial tone and be like, "Well, this must be a wrong number," and hang up, and they'll never call yeah, again. I'll try one more time just to check. Oh, it's busy again. Maybe someone must have found the mouse. It's not my problem anymore. I'm not going to call back. You don't get missed call notifications on Rotary. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, Lipnicky? Lipnicky, you fucking idiot. But Snowbell take you freaking soft, not jacked. Don't idiot. do this, Zach. Do not start a fight. Anyway. Snowbell takes out all of the other cats except for Smokey because he breaks the tree branch. Again, fucking phenomenal cat acting here where it's like with its two little paws pushing down on the, the branch and Monty's like begging him like not to spare his life essentially. 
<laughs> but anyway, you know, the branch snaps, all the cats go into the water. He goes, long live the king, and then he just pushes Monty off the bed, and then they yes. fall into the fires of Mount Doom. Stuart smashes a tree branch in Smokey's face just before he's about to kill Snowbell, sending him off the edge and into the river as well, where I think we're meant to believe he died, as it's implied he's attacked by dogs after leaving this little creek here. He's just screaming like, oh, no, no! Um, can we also talk about, too, that in this scene, in the scene where he hits him with the tree branch, he goes, hey, Smokey! His name is Snowbell. Like, it's some, like, finally, like, oh, yeah, that good payoff moment. It's like, well, why are you telling him that? I think he knows. I don't know if he cares. Like, he, why? Yeah, he's called him He's called him Tinkerbell, I think, twice before, and so that's, I think, the payoff. But I will admit that even on this watch, I thought to myself out loud, like, that was a really shitty anticlimactic, like, one-liner to say then. Yeah, yeah didn't really connect with me there, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I'll admit that one was kind of a, a wet fart of a, a catchphrase. A rare, a rare miss in the, in the <laughs> odyssey of yeah. Stuart Little. Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan really, he hadn't uh, figured out how to tie up all his movies quite yet, I suppose. Stuart rides Snowbell all the way home, and they arrive just as the family's heading off to bed, and Jonathan Nip- Lipnicki's doing that dumbass phone trick. Uh, they open the window to find him. Everyone confesses their love for each other. Little high, little low, little hey, little ho. And uh, that's it. They accept him back into the family. We get a little Lou Bega end credit sequence of our brothers getting dressed that ends with snowbell being shot out of the window that's right 90s lubega <laughs> here's what i'll say i i found it to be entertaining almost all the way through i think it does there are some some lulls here we, we didn't mention how long that cat scene goes long it's pretty long that whole like chunk is a good like 10 15 minutes of them like chasing a mouse around <laughs> like a park it's so long uh, it's so, so long. <laughs> the VFX of Stuart Little himself, Michael J. Fox, we kind of breeze past his performance here, but he he is doing like a really good, I think, vocal performance. You get a lot of heart from just his voice, and, and he's such a sweet, adorable character that even if you don't like this movie, I can't see anyone being upset with the character itself of Stuart Little, other than being baffled by his existence in and of itself. But there are some decent kids messaging here. Again, when I show this movie to a kid today, I kind of think I, I might, because there's one, there's a lot of weird dark stuff that I like in kids' movies. I don't think anything's overly offensive. We do get that one cat fart. That's always a plus. But I also think the performances other than Lip Nicky are at least kind of they're kind of quirky and fun. I like the way Hugh Laurie and Gina Davis play these characters because it's almost like not quite a Tim Burton, like Beetlejuice level of heightened behavior, but it is a weird, they're just off. They're not quite acting like people. And I think M. Night Shyamalan actually does a decent job at adapting the story considering the fact that some of the parts in that book I think would be hard to sell, like the fact that this woman gave birth to a human mouse. And then, of course, opens this whole other can of worms about the adoption agency. And I mean, you're just not um, going to adopt, or you're just not going to adopt this screenplay like without fucking a million red flags. So I guess pick your poison: adoption or birth. Yeah. I do love Nathan Lane. In fact, I love a lot of the bits with this whole cat mob mafia thing they got going on here. I like the vocal performances. I think. It's not quite a 67%, but I also don't think it's nearly as bad as I was worried it was going to be. I was going into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to actually have to eat all this shit that I've been spewing this whole time promoting this movie or pumping it up. I don't think it's honestly all that bad. I, I don't think this is nearly as bad as most of the movies we've covered on here. I, I don't know if I could get it to a... I'll give it a... I'll give it a, like a 55, 60. I think it's right in there. I think... It did have a lot of nostalgic moments for me, considering I've seen this movie so many times. So if you were nostalgic for it, 
I think it's on Netflix at the time of uh, recording. I think it's worth the, the rewatch, honestly, because there's enough funny bits as an adult that you can laugh at. The absurdity of the premise, the the weird dark bits, and Nathan Lane is this cat really elevate this as well as uh michael j fox so i'll say you could watch it with your kids now you can watch it by yourself now it's not too bad man 55 60 i think it's okay all right you ready <laughs> hit me brother <laughs> brandon i agree with you i oh, yeah oh, shit. i i completely agree it really isn't literally as bad as i thought it was going to be that being said I think if you're going to rewatch it for the nostalgia factor, which is kind of what we try and dice here is like, is it worth that you guys go out and rewatch this movie? I'd say go ahead and do that, but do it after quarantine is lifted where you can get a group of friends together, get really drunk and watch it because it really like, there's really no value for it as an adult in general. Um, I, I have a hard time when we do these kids movies because I have a, a really hard time just going down to that level of like, well, this isn't made for me. It's made for kids. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you can just ignore because this movie is made for kids, like the absurdity that we've been railing on this whole time. But if we're going to be serious, like for a kid's movie, it's perfectly fine that they adopt a mouse. It's quirky and it drives the plot. It's simple. You know, it's something to keep the kids interested. That being said, as an adult, it raises so many questions that we can laugh about. So that's where I think the value comes if you're going to rewatch it as an adult is, you know, if you get inebriated with friends and laugh at just some of the fucking weird shit that goes on in this movie because it is strange. It is like fever dream strange, some of the things that go on in this movie. That being said, I laughed a couple of times as an adult. Um, I don't think there's any comedy for children, like at all. Um, I don't think there was a single thing that as a kid I would have laughed at. No, other than like, yeah, the situational silliness of something like him getting stuck in a washing machine. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe like the cat like rolling over and laughing or something like, oh, look at the cute cat laughing, you know, stupid bullshit like that. Cat farts. As Yeah. Cat fart. Exactly. Cat fart. But as an adult, there's some weirdly like funny shit that goes on. I don't know. I like I agree. I'm going to give it I'm actually going to give it a 60. I really think like it it really isn't a bad movie. I would show it to a kid. I think it holds up for kids really well. Um again, like you said maybe the cutoff would probably be 9 years old. I think if they're 10 years old, they might not get like a as much out of this movie as a younger younger kid would. Um, that being said, if you do have kids, I don't know how many of our listeners actually have kids. Have we been recommending to parentless people that they show this to their kids? <laughs> Regardless, uh, or if you're eight, watch if you're eight to ten, maybe you're listening right yeah, now. Yeah, for all of our fucking eight-year-old listeners, Baby. you fucking idiots, <laughs> watch this fucking movie. It's fucking sweet. Um, but if you are going to show it with your kid, maybe do it supervised because there are questions that will be raised there's some jokes that like you may not want to go unsupervised other than that you know it's i don't i'm not crazy about the plot i don't think this is anywhere near obviously m night Shyamalan has so many better movies but i I truly don't think it's like even that good um as a script you know not as worse though not as worse (laughs) but nowhere near as best (laughs) um it's it's a bizarre movie. It it does get a little boring for me, but overall, I think it. I, I can't believe I'm saying it, Brandon. I think it holds up. 
Yeah, I think we matched it. Like I think I would put it to a sixty. I think it's just fresh, just fresh, and uh, the just fresh. The rare film that's yeah from you know two to ten and then twenty one and over. No one in between. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like you, I think I truly do believe. Like I watched it sober, and I wish I hadn't because I would have had way more fun if I had been drunk or uh, you know whatever. <laughs> whatever <laughs> and. And just watched this movie inebriated. I think I would have had way more fun. But I, I'll give you credit, Brandon. It's it's not a bad movie. It's no Kangaroo Jack or a Cats and Dogs, you know. For- Keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> well, uh, what did you watch over the last uh, week here? Anything good? Anything bad? No. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. <laughs> no. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two recommendations, even though they're they're both old because I I really didn't watch anything brand new. Um, it's been kind of a hectic week for me, but um, gotcha. So I've been rewatching Community because that is on Netflix now. Yeah, and I remember when Community came out, it was like one of my favorite shows on television. And then there was some weird back and forth with the network, and a lot of the the stars started dropping like flies. Like Chevy Chase left, and then Childish Gambino left, and then Yvette Nicole Brown leaves by the sixth season. Um, that show for the first three seasons is incredible. It's funny. Um, after that, I can't vouch for it. So I'm going to recommend the first three seasons of Community, and then maybe you can stop and pretend that the show doesn't exist after that. Um, <laughs> okay. Or, you know, maybe the fourth season, but the fifth and sixth, definitely not. Uh, the other thing I started watching, um, and I can't believe it's taken me this long to watch it, I started watching Westworld. Um, oh, And yeah. you know what? I don't get it. Don't get it? How far are you in? A couple episodes into the first season? Uh, three episodes in, okay. I don't get it. Okay, I think I think the first season was great by the end of it. Okay, I I have historically gone on record saying, well, I don't know if I've done it on this podcast, but I am not a fan of Michael Crichton, despite uh, oh, Jurassic Park. The Jurassic Park love, yeah. <laughs> I actually think Jurassic Park is not that great of a book. Uh, every other book I've ever read of his uh, has been wildly disappointing. Yeah, just not, I, I'm not a big fan of his. Um, but I mean, the show has some interesting things, and I know the third season's coming out, so I'll power through it. Yeah, I was gonna um, say give give it the, at least the first season, and then okay, I'll I'll give you an update later because right now I don't I don't get the appeal, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I took your recommendation. I think it was last week or the week before when you had mentioned that you watched They Came Together. So I went on like a David Wayne kick. Oh man, uh, yeah, They Came Together. Holy shit, so funny. It's Just so really funny. underrated. Yeah. Uh, then I also watched the the Netflix movie that I never got a chance to see a futile and stupid gesture oh yeah based on the uh, life of uh yeah doug that's been on from national that's been on my list forever again it was directed by david wayne like fantastic cast of just people you'll recognize from the state and all his other movies but surprisingly low-key like pulled back and not that it doesn't have the david wayne dumb humor it does but it's surprisingly like i wouldn't say emotional but but it is very character driven and it has a lot to say about that the guy himself and what he did for comedy and i thought it was a really well done movie honestly much much better than i expected i think it's like his most grounded movie from what i've heard yeah definitely more like role models less comedy more drama i also watched wanderlust the other day too because that one, <laughs> i hadn't seen oh, that in a long a time and that, that's pretty funny too yeah again these movies I love that movie are yeah. kind of shit on is... at first upon release and then i think it's... they get love later on by the way medical police uh I recommend that show too. Um, that's another David Wayne. I watched one or two episodes of that. But you have to. You kind of have to watch Children's Hospital before you watch Medical Police. Well, you don't have to, but it makes more sense. 
And then I got to say, I watched two new movies, or at least movies that came out, I think, this year or last year. It was Guns Akimbo with, with Daniel Radcliffe. It's kind of a, a almost a take on Crank where it's very high octane, never lets go. He wakes up. He's like an internet troll who wakes up with guns bolted to his hands, and he has to survive like this uh, internet contest in which people try to kill him on like live TV and it's streamed or whatever. I'll say I like the premise and I honestly think Daniel Radcliffe was fun in it. It's just a little too, I think low budget for its own good. It's reach exceeds its grasp type deal, but there's some fun stuff in there. It's if you see it streaming, give it a watch, but don't rush out to see it. And the exact same recommendation for a movie called Arkansas, which I actually just saw last night, which actually did come out this year. It's a movie directed by Clark Duke. Do you remember, do you know who Clark Duke is from uh hot tub time machine? And Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did a lot of work with Michael Sarah back in the day, uh, but this is his first movie he directed. He's in it with the lesser Hemsworth brother. It's okay. Vince Vaughn and John Malkovich are in there in like side performances. It's like a small town crime thriller, and they're really good in it. I like them a lot, but the movie overall is just kind of, again, worth watching if you're in quarantine and uh, nothing better to do. But other than that, you don't have to rush out to see All it. right, cool. So yeah, that's me, man. Good stuff. All right, so there's some recommendations of stuff that everybody's well, I, my stuff, everybody's probably already seen anyway. <laughs> but So let's just talk about uh, next week. Um, I don't think I'm punishing you properly. Well, that. honestly, I think um, after watching Stuart Little, this wasn't as big of a punishment as you were maybe expecting. So maybe you decided to go lenient on me. That's what it was. I think I had fun talking to you about it. Um, regardless, next week, um, I, I was hell-bent on getting a sports movie in to get Brandon back. But... It'll be an interesting one. It's a comedy, kind of. Um, We are watching 2000's The Replacements. A movie I've never seen all the way through. I've caught bits and pieces at the gym many times on either FX or TNT or some channel plays this nonstop. Oh, TNT loves okay, TNT loves then it must have been that because I've seen bits and pieces and I love me some Keanu and the whole cast Gene Hackman got some Orlando Jones John Favreau I'm excited to finally actually watch it front to back you know it's going to be interesting because I remember really liking this movie when it came out and um and I remember re-watching it there was a couple years ago where the NFL went on strike and we just didn't have games for a while or they were threatening not to have games I can't remember um it's an interesting idea of like scabbing football players amateur football players um and keanu reeves i'll be interested because i didn't have the highest regard for keanu reeves when i first saw this movie um but i ended up liking the movie now i think the roles are reserved reversed where i have a lot more respect for keanu reeves but i don't think this movie is going to be that great (laughs) so we'll see what happens i'm looking forward to it well thank you everyone for for listening for downloading you can check out more of our episodes at nbd.podbean.com which is our originally hosted site you can also find us on facebook and twitter shoot us a message don't forget to also if you don't want to go to nbd.podbean.com but you should you can also find us on itunes and spotify uh please leave us a comment write us a review and of course tell your friends because we need people to hear us because we're we're freaking dying over here. <laughs> Drowning, barely, head above water. But uh, if you also want to interact in another way, you can shoot us an email, any question, any requests, over at nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com. Zach mentioned it earlier, but again, I just want to reiterate, please, please write us a review. It really is the best way to spend $0, but help us out quite a bit. Yeah, please. <sighs> Anything else, Zach? Little high, little ho? Little hey, little ho? I'm going to start using that now. Um, or get a... 
tattooed on my back. I'm going to get wash your hands tattooed on my forehead. That's because that's the only thing I can say right now is wash your hands. Keep washing your hands. Stay the fuck home. It's not over yet. That's <laughs> right. We're not out of the woods yet. Oh, boy. Stay safe, people. Love you.